This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. Welcome to Transparency, everybody. Uh, we are joined today by Buck Angel, um, a man everybody is familiar with. Uh, he's also a leader of Gender Dysphoria Alliance along with us uh, and has agreed to just come on and uh, have a conversation on transparency today. So uh, thanks very much for uh, coming on, Buck. Right on. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's, you know, the organization is so I'm so excited to be in an organization with you guys, you, you know, I just love you guys. You're so smart and just such a different space than I am. So I think what, what really excites me is having these conversations where we haven't had, you know, the platform to do this. So creating this platform, first off, your, your podcast is brilliant. And secondly, belonging to an organization that I feel very passionate about bringing my voice to. So I just want to let you guys know that I appreciate you bringing me on here and also bringing me on to the Gender Dysphoria Alliance. So I, the work is important. Thank you. Thanks, Buck. You know, Aaron and I were just saying yesterday that, you know, within the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, we're all different, right? We all have different personalities, different <laughs> lives, different interests. And, um, you know, we don't agree on every, on every point um, within the organization, but we all come together, you know, with a common mission. Yeah. Um, and, and I really, that's so different from, the trans community as a whole, right? Where, where difference isn't respected and we're all expected to think and act and, and, and believe in the same things. Um, and there's so much conflict. And I really appreciate that we have been able to come together just, you know, despite our differences and, you know, and different opinions about things, but we, we come together and, and we're able to have just friendly conversations. Yeah, adult, let's, I, I would like to use the word adult and mature. I feel like there's become this immaturity in our community that shuts down uh, opinions that are different. And uh, as we know, we have this conversation all the time. So that's why I think it's powerful what we've created here, because you're right. We don't all come to the table with everything the same, but what we do come to the table with what is an ultimate goal. And, you know, I think finding you guys and creating this or, uh, alliance and really bringing so many amazing people into it, is so powerful and it, it, you know, I was, I'll be honest, I was feeling a little bit frustrated, you know, for, for the last couple of years, frustrated that, you know, I feel like on some level alone and like, hey, you know, and then, you know, come on people, you know, there's other people who have different opinions in this community. And why are we not, you know, celebrating other opinions when we're always told to live authentically, right? That's always been this sort of key tagline. I like to call it live authentically. Hashtag be yourself. <laughs> But don't be yourself if it's against <laughs> we're telling you. So, you know, I think the maturity in the conversation is uh, where we can, where we will succeed because we're not, I, from my opinion is we're not angry and we're not like, ah, we're, we're really coming to this with, hey, we would like to have a con. Maybe we're missing something. I can say maybe I'm missing something. So can we have a conversation so that I can see if I'm actually missing something but I can't have a conversation when you're frantic and you're calling me names and you're shutting my, me down, right? 
Yeah, that seems to be the MO is um, yeah. just, just uh, uh, so much of this seems to become th they're coming from a place of, of severe insecurity, it seems like. And so um, just just really hostile in, in response to anything that they see as kind of kind of uh, um, yeah, challenging their narrative or, or um, uh, just against the uh, counter to the status quo that they've kind of come to, to feel uh, to to. To kind of base their uh, their identity in, but I want to go back to what you were saying a little bit earlier, Baka. You were saying like for the last two years, you've you felt like you know what what is going on here and feeling very alone. I was feeling the exact same way, and I think Aaron, you had a bit of that as well when you kind of came out of 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 you know kind of got into the, the realm of what was going on uh, in in the in trans community discourse and just being like what happened here and just feeling like you are insane it's like is this really what people are saying and doing is this what you know and just feeling yeah very alone very um uh, uh just it's yeah it's really kind of uh, maddening uh to, to to see the way that the, the everything's framed and discussed and um you know how how reality is somehow you know a, an affront to to personhood um just weird stuff and so uh it's really nice to come together with people who can have open, frank, <laughs> reality-based conversations uh, like we're doing. So, yeah, yeah. There's the principle that we don't always notice small incremental changes, yeah. but we notice, you know, like a bit a big change, right? And so, I think why it was so shocking for me is that I'd been out of the loop for quite some time, and and I had known some of the people in the community. I had been involved in the community transition, and and then I and then I left it and got on with my life, and and so coming back um, into um, you know the, the the discourse and the and the community vibe. It, it was really shocking how different how different it is, yeah. right? And and I and I've known some of those people, you know, from back in the day, and they're thinking and talking so different now, and they probably don't even notice it because if they've been immersed in it the whole time, mm -hmm. it's happened little bit by little bit, right? That these ideas have taken over. But for me to enter into it, it's like what has happened? Like it was it was almost creepy hearing some of these people that I knew talk so different and think so different and, and in this very uniform culty kind of way and huge blind spots uh, to reality. Um, yeah. I mean, it actually makes me feel a little ill. I'll be honest with you because that, that same with me, I lost a lot of my friends, you know, to that ideology, I'm going to say, and to that language. And I was like, wait a minute, you, you guys never, thought that before what happened so I'm totally that's exactly right Aaron like I just all of a sudden I'm like wait a minute all of my friends are literally talking this way and doing this well not all but you know and I'm like thinking to myself I can't now I'm not having this alignment with them which is fine but then they wouldn't have the conversation with me because I started getting called all these names and then people wanted to disassociate with me instead of having the conversation and then I was like, wow, what's happening? So when I found you guys and I realized there are a lot of us, there's more than I really knew. But I think what happened for me specifically is you start to feel like when you start to challenge it, you just get piled on and no one person can handle that. You just can't. The pile on is so deep and so thick and so nasty and so evil and all the things. They just want to wipe you out. And so you know, I did back out of it because I realized, you know, I'm not going to fight something. I'm not going to win. I'm just not going to do it. I'm, you know, I'm not going to be that one dude in a pile of 50 dudes. It's just, I'm going to get my ass kicked. So, so that being said, when I met you guys and then I realized, oh, wow, there's other people who are seeing this 
And that's why I do think us coming together and uh, being able to have these conversations now in the public, when this goes to the public, I don't feel scared and I don't feel, you know, like what I'm saying is herfy or what am I called a turf and I'm called transphobic and I'm called liquor. Bootlicker, that's my favorite, by the way. And I'm just thinking now, who cares? But before it yep. did sort of affect yep. me on some level, yeah. Yeah, all it takes is having having a few people, you know, along with you that that, that helps helps a lot uh, in that. I feel like with the pile on stuff, it's almost like <clears throat> uh, people who are certainly within the in the trans community, right? Or you know, as loosely as you want to use that that term, uh, they they. Uh, you know, it's like what happened to um, to Natalie uh, when you know contraplanes with that whole you know her association with you and like that when yep and then so I think so that kind of clued me into what's going on here is when somebody kind of steps out of line or some is basically makes themselves the target uh, you know completely benignly whatever it is they've done then everybody else feels that they must participate in the pylon to demonstrate their correct moral alignment, right? So it's not so much about the target as it is an opportunity for you to display your, you know, your commitment to the, to the, the good cause. Um, and so it's basically like, just like, oh, here's my platform. And I think a lot of people who maybe be like, well, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with Buck, um, but, you know, they feel like the eyes are constantly on them. So if they aren't one of the ones who's been like, turf bootlicker, you know, then they're basically, oh, maybe, oh, maybe I'm a turf bootlicker too, yeah. you know, like, it, it's, you, you got to join the mob in order to not be, you know, a, a receiver of the mob. It's, I think, what goes into a lot of the psychology of just the exponential growth of these pylons as they start to happen That's is, right. oh, here's an opportunity for me to demonstrate my... Yeah. Well, where did that come from? That that's this new mentality that we're getting. Also, this idea to be famous, right? So that all of that really connects social media. All of that connects to me this um, this idea because I, what you're saying is so true. I don't think people just are doing that to to be part of a a situation that says what you're saying is wrong. I believe people jump onto something to be a part of, whether right. or not they necessarily agree with the major message. Right. And I think that's throughout history and mobby mentality mm -hmm. and all of this. It's psychological. So that's what's the brilliance of the way that they've done this. Who's ever because I believe there are leaders to this situation. I believe there's people who started putting this out there and having an idea of how to connect the dots to create a bigger platform for this ideal that trans is this and change the whole narrative around my own identity. And that's when I started to get a little bit upset when transsexual was taken off the table, when you can just self ID, when you don't need dysphoria. When, when, when I heard you don't need dysphoria to be trans, that was it. That was literally the thing that broke the camel's back for me because I was like, um, we are now celebrating something that really on some level we shouldn't be celebrating. I, I, I wish to God I was born a cisgender man, right? I wish I was born a man in life. And so I, I don't necessarily celebrate my transsexualism. I, I, I deal with it and I, I work through it. But to say like, oh, trans is beautiful. I said it from the get-go when they started using the hashtag trans is beautiful. I'm like, why are you doing that for kids to see? Mm -hmm. That to me says that you're saying this situation is oak is great. Join the club. That's what I saw with trans is beautiful. And I started pushing back on a lot of big influential people. And they were like, well, Buck, I see what you're saying. They even said that to me. But at the same time, 
these kids need to, to know that it's okay. And I said, yeah, there's a difference between saying it's okay and we can help you through this than saying, come aboard, come aboard this situation. It's beautiful and fun. That's what I saw when I saw trans is beautiful. And that freaked me out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying to see like even, even the flag makes me a little bit squirmish. Um, is why, you know, this, uh, really invasive medical treatment that's basically being, you know, packaged at this, you know, this, this club or this community identity that, um, uh, yeah. And then I've even seen uh, trans is sacred hashtag trans is sacred. Uh, that was, that was a real creepy, creepy one for me. <laughs> yeah. That's just telling it like it is as far as how, you know, how their ide- ideology thinks. Right? We've talked okay. so much about how it's become a religion that that's just a, that's just a, an admission <laughs> yep. that we're right. That's right. That's and, right. And then did someone create like the cisgender flag that's like strips of gray? <laughs> I, I just can't I didn't see that. I think I think I've seen that. It's just strips of, of different different gray, different shades of gray. That's the cisgender flag. I mean, talk about you know telling the message, right? Like I don't yeah. understand how people are so blind to what this overall message is. That it's 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 boring to be a straight cis person. There you go. If you yes. happen to be white cis straight male, you're doomed, right. right? You're 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 boring and dull. But yep. everything trans and also violent is, and dangerous. Yeah, that's right. Trans is bright and, and beautiful and exciting, yeah. and you get a party thrown for you, right? And parents rallying around for you, like. A, right. I mean, who wouldn't want to join that party? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I want to join that cool party. I mean, come on. I, you know, we all equate it to when you know I'm 59 when I was growing up, right? I always, you always, every kid needs a group. Every kid feel, especially kids who don't feel a part of the main group, right? I was one of those. You might, you guys might've been one of those. I was one of those who always felt out. I was an outlier. I never felt a part of, I was a punk rocker, right? Back in the day, that was the cool thing. You were out, you know, you shaved your head off and you did, you know, all kinds of crazy shit. And, you know, so I do equate it to a club or an indoctrination to this is where you belong. You don't belong over there. You know, some of the language I hear, you know, come to your glitter family. What? I don't understand that either. Like it feels so, it, it feels so much like you're at telling these kids that that's who they are without any mental health care, without any, you know, going to a per- professional person to talk about it. It's just, it's just, and the fact that people are just like, my kid is trans. My kid is trans because my kid says so. Well, kids say all kinds of things. And don't you want your kid to go and have some kind of person to talk to about this? Oh, I'm so sorry, you guys. Can you hold up? As my kid is banging on the door. Okay. Uh, we should talk about that uh, U.S. path. What did that, that trans woman say? Uh, that this is this is the only medical care medical care or what like something like to, she actually said like you 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 need it to to affirm your identity or I can't remember what she said but she basically said it is it is healthcare to to create your identity or to I don't even remember what she said but it was like yeah, wow you exactly you just said that out loud didn't you yeah <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about the the U.S. path meeting that the the three of us attended and just our experiences with that, that it, it got kind of pretty tense. The last half of it was pretty tense, I thought. Oh, tell me about it. Talk about it. Yeah. So, well, I guess we should sort of frame what it was. So it yeah. was a, it was um, a meeting by US Path, which is the American um, branch of W Path. And I got the impression it was sort of like an emergency com- community meeting um, to talk about 
the two whistleblowers, um, so Dr. Anderson and, and Dr. Bowers, <laughs> and, and going public and and going to Abigail Schreier to, to write the article for them because they their own article that they submitted to New York Times was rejected. Um, so they're taking a lot of heat for for it, and so U.S. Path. Um, they didn't seem to really have like a specific agenda, right? I, I thought there would be more more people there, but they it seems like they organized it in response to that article that came out, and um, obviously pretty divided in their opinions there. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And so I think people are so mad at Dr. Anderson and Dr. Bowers for talking to Abigail and they should have known, but that's some of the stuff you should have known better. What are you talking about? You should have known better. The thing that's so upsetting about that whole thing is now Dr. Bowers is saying that she didn't say some of those kinds of things. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm very good friends with Abigail Schreier and she's an amazing a person and she cares about us. So I'm going to say that first and foremost, I would never be friends with somebody who did not care about myself and my friends who are trans people. She does care about us. And so um, I, first and foremost, I wanna say that. Secondly, she's entitled to say anything she wants to say about anything in the world. <laughs> That's the reality of the world. And so the fact that people just go at her because she's against, she's not against anything. She wants to have a discussion like we all do. So the minute, when those meetings start to, uh, so that's why when Dr. Bauer said on some level, that's not what I said, is that what you guys kind of got what she was saying when she was kind of- Yeah, she did seem to kind of back backpedal a little bit and say that she was misrepresented in, in some ways. There's no way that Abigail would misrepresent. She's a, now she's a journalist. That's one thing. We, not to say that all journalists are, are, are okay, but I just know her and I, I, I really don't think she would misrepresent her because it would come back on her as a journalist, right? People are going to say, well, she'll release those audio tapes. And then, you know, so I just can't believe she would put her a whole journalism career on the line to misrepresent something, which all she's trying to do is bring it to a table. So that's what she's doing. She's bringing a discussion to the table so we can all have this discussion. So I was a little bit, um, I was a little bit disappointed in Dr. Bowers doing that because I, I, I feel, but you know what happened, right? She got heat. She got that heat and she got that mob. So she backpedaled and that just bums me out because it doesn't mean she, to me, it means she doesn't really want to have the conversation as a doctor. And then they released, um, UPATH and WPATH both released a public statement saying that, basically saying that, no clinician should be going to the media to talk about these things. And it was signed by Dr. Bowers and Dr. Anderson as, as leaders of those organizations. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's just, that just looks bad for those organizations. Yeah. I think to say that we're not allowed to speak publicly about things that, that affect impact all, of all of us. That's right. Affect not only, I get calls from, I'm going to get all angry again. I'm going to puff up. I get calls from parents almost daily. You guys not call, but emails. Help me. I'm not getting desperate. Debt crying. I met with a parent here crying, distraught. Uh, all these people keep telling me to transition my kid. I don't believe it. I want it. He wants to have options. Why are there no options for these parents to say, okay, wait a minute. I'm willing to deal with this. 
but I need options to find out what's really going on with my kid. It's not that black and white and it's not that, but they're being pushed into this space to say, if your kid says they're trans, they're trans. Now, come on, man, we can't, you cannot, we need to have options and people who are willing to have the conversation with these kids, you know, and that's not, you know, talking a kid out of being trans. It's talking the kid into figuring out what's going on with this kid. And since when are we just taking a kid for their word at face value? You know, maybe they are trans, whatever that even means, right? Maybe not. So why, you know, if that's the part to me that I just feel so like, why are we not paying attention to this on some level? Why, are, especially when kids are involved. And I feel like everyone's putting their head in the sand and not wanting to hear really what this all means when we start to transition children so fast with no discussion about it. It just, ha do you guys notice that it just kind of happened overnight? We're just transitioning kids and it's okay. And no one's having a conversation. Like what? The, the kind of the social, the, the socio-political forces that have led to this are going to be studied for generations. I think um, uh, it's, it's pretty baffling how quickly it happened and how, how, how any dissent or any concern is, is automatically dismissed as transphobia. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, pretty crazy stuff. I think with, with Bowers uh, and, and perhaps Anderson as well, I wonder to what extent um, they, they anticipated the backlash. Um, it, it's one of those things that I kind of look at and can't really put my, I, I can't really yeah. get, a, get a feel for the, the, the motivation yeah. or the, the intent. I mean, okay, yeah, so I don't need to know the motivation, but I'm just curious if like, so they both signed that letter saying that, we shouldn't be speaking to the press right after having just done so. It just it kind of just speaks to a lot of disorganization and, and disagreement internally, and then maybe like sudden you know ass covering. I don't know. It's it just there's uh, there's a lot going on there that that needs investigating. And I wonder, <laughs> wouldn't it be great? You know, I don't know. Not sure. I know Aaron, you probably listened to it. I'm not sure if you listened to it, Buck. The um, uh, the expose on Stonewall uh, in the UK. I can't wait until an equivalent is done on WPATH. Um, that'll be, that'll be, oh, oh, oh. Out, that's right. A few years out. You're right. It's not going to happen right now. People are just blocking stuff. So, you know, they're just, so, so Aaron, we, they can't speak to the press at all now. So is that the meeting we were in the other day? Was that the youth? Yeah. 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 You know, they, I don't know if you saw the email sent out, but basically uninviting me, <laughs> basically they're like saying, and, you know, maybe there's some people that were in that meeting that shouldn't be in the next one because you're not on the same. They're like, basically, these meetings are about getting Bowers and Anderson to sign this letter and to uh, change their mind. And because and, I was pushing against them, like, did yeah. you see parents were getting hot. They were getting mad at me because I was disagreeing. I'm like, but wait a minute, we need to have a conversation. It's not that simple. Kids, kids are dying, Buck. You should know. I'm like. Um, kids are dying all over the world from starvation and <laughs> all kinds of things. Trust me. It's not just trans kids who are dying. And why, why is everybody so scared? Why is everybody so scared to have the conversation? Seriously, why? I don't understand why we can't. Why, why can't we have an opposing view, especially from trans people like us who actually live this space? and have lived it for many years. And why wouldn't you want to have us part of the conversation? That to me is such a red flag, such a red flag. So, so you're saying that, so that, cause it was a public meeting, I thought it was open yeah. to the public. 
right. so that's community right. members showed up and they're saying that certain that's trans people in the community shouldn't be allowed to attend. That's right. That's right. So, you know, me and Dr. What's her name? The one heading that thing. Um, she, me, she doesn't like me at all. And so, you know, I'm going to say this. She did something nasty to me. And when I opened a business in Palm Springs, she posted all over the internet not to support my business because I'm a turf. I'm a true. I'm like, oh. she's the one. Okay. Okay. I remember that happening. I didn't know. Okay. Right. And I went to where she works and I wrote them a letter and I said, this is disgusting. This is one trans person attacking another. I make bit. How So if she's going to come after my business as a trans person. What does that say about her? I'm building a business to hire trans people, to create for trans people. And she's telling people not to support my business because her own personal opinion is I'm a turf. What is that all about? That's transphobic in itself. And the organization had a discussion with me and I said, I, she needs to publicly apologize to me or you need to fire her. And so they brought her in and they had a discussion with her and she posted, fuck Angel, blah, blah, blah. I'm just thinking, lady, don't you learn <laughs> from your mistakes? Now you're posting that I did. But anyway, my, my, again, going back to the immaturity, the immaturity, the not wanting to have a discussion, instead trying to take other trans people out, right? Who are building, we're building for this community. We create for this community. And so now, because I have a different way of being and a different opinion, I'm not allowed to be a part of this community or to even create for this community. That's what I want the world to see. Like they even try to come after people like us who are doing things in the world to make things better for us. We're not doing things to create a bad space for us. So yeah, they, they came after me a little bit after that because I wasn't on board, right? I wasn't on, on point with all of them saying Dr. Bowers and Dr. Anderson should be ashamed of themselves and this is disgusting. And what they want them to retract their statements saying as if they said what they said wasn't real. And I don't think they're gonna do that. And they, it, that's why people end up going to the media. I mean, I can't speak for Dr. Bowers and Dr. Anderson specifically, because I don't know them well enough to know what their motivations were, but, but there's always a reason why people feel pushed to go to the media. And it's usually because they feel like they need to shore up support outside of the organization because, you know, if they're a minority within the organization and if they're, if they're really, really scared and concerned about the well-being of their patients going through this system and they don't feel like the organization or the system of care as a whole sees their concerns and, and agrees with their concerns, of course they're going to feel like but kids' safety is at risk, so I need to do something, right, to shore up support for my concerns. And and I think their concerns are very are very valid. Yeah, that's right. But I think everybody's concerns can be valid, right? But somehow, somehow, there's a lot of power in this community right now to shut out anyone who goes has an opposing view about anything. You know, I didn't even, I didn't put my views out there around David, Dave Chappelle because I just realized I'm just going to get murdered <laughs> because I have a difference of opinion about things. And that is not community. You know that, right, guys? That's not community. Community is a space where we're allowed to have other opinions and we're allowed to have to figure out how to make our community a better space. We have uh, discussions. I mean, I, I grew up in this community like you guys did. I just remember a different way of being. And, and you know, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't always agree with everyone who were my friends. And I didn't always agree with the way things are done in the LGBT community. Yet 
here we are, right? And that's how we got to where we are because we did disagree on things, but we found a means and a way to find what we really all want. What do we all want? That's the thing that's missing in this conversation. What do we all want? Because all of us should be part of that discussion. I think what we all want is for us to just live free and safe in the world. That's what I want. I have an amazing life from transition. I have nothing to complain about. That's what I want for other people. When I start seeing detransition, that shocks me as a guy whose life was saved from transitioning. And when I see the sadness and the, the horrible space these kids are in because they transitioned when they never should have. And why is this not a big part of our, our conversation? They want to hide the detransitioners. That is sick. That is totally sick to me. Yeah. And I mean, detransitioners, I remember people detransitioning 20 years ago. So it, it's not like that's completely new. But, yeah. Yeah. but I, re I remember for in the community when people, you would sort of hear um, rumors isn't the right word because it was, it was real. It wasn't made mm -hmm. up. But, but you would hear people kind of murmuring through the community that, oh, so-and-so detransitioned and, and kind of just disappeared from the community they moved across the country and we never heard from them again and never saw them again and and the community's attitude was always like oh someone brainwashed them or somebody they just couldn't handle it or right there was always something to dismiss the decision that they made to detransition it rather than support or, or curiosity or concern mm -hmm. for the person or um so that i mean that so that pattern was happening over and over and over again people would do, would detransition and disappear and were spoken of very very highly in the community so of course if you're having doubts or you're thinking you made the wrong decision and you wanted to detransition and and you know that that's the community's attitude about it you know they're going to they're going to speak badly about you and smear you i mean who's going to be open about those those thoughts and feelings that's right and that was before social media right so now add social media on top. But, but that said, there's to me, is it because now we have more people transitioning that we have more people detransitioning? Would you say that could be part of the equation? I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, we're all good, the, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, if you increase the volume of transition, you're going to see detransition. But I think it's also the total lack of any assessment. You know, we've really demonized this idea that assessment is somehow harmful. I mean we all went through the system when it was more careful and, and slow and um, maybe Aaron, you less, less so, but I mean, when I went through it, it was a slow, it was a slow process. Um, I didn't feel harmed by that in any way, just having a conversation about, you know, my history it was actually, I thought it, um, helpful to talk about it um, and think it and think it through. And cause when you talk about things, you sometimes remember things you know, that you hadn't remembered and, and piece things together in the way that you hadn't yourself, right? So if they ask questions that you hadn't asked of yourself, it, it's helpful. Um, you know, we've had Ken Peary on the show in the past too, and he saw a psychiatrist for two years before transitioning. And, and we asked him on the show, like, what was that experience like for you? Did you find that harmful? That, you know, was that, I mean, talk about gatekeeping, that was two years of gatekeeping, right? And, and so was that harmful? And he said, no, that was actually really helpful for me. So I don't know why where this idea came from that having a conversation about our dysphoria and our decision making and how we arrived at this decision and what we want from this decision, how is that 
when did we decide that that was harmful to us in some way? I, I, like, I think if someone is, feels traumatized by having a conversation about their dysphoria, are they really ready to transition? That's right. That's right. That's a great question. And you're right. Why would we take a safety net? It's, it's a safety net. <laughs> so we're going to teach you how to skydive with no safety net. If you hit the bottom, dude, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't pull the cord fast enough. Like on some level, we're literally, it's just a safety net. It has never been gatekeeping. And so it's people out there. I think they were pushing for that self ID way before me or maybe any of us here even understood any of that in the picture. But I believe that this has been in the making for a long time. And so they wanted to get to this space of self ID. And then, you know, I'm that, that guy, I don't want to sound all conspiracy, but, you know, it was there this idea to get to where we are today, to make it so that we could have more, the more people that are in a, the more people that are in a space, the stronger that space becomes, right? Power in numbers. So I'm wondering, is there this idea that the more we transition people without this gatekeeping, the more powerful this community becomes. And, you know, it's easy to teach kids. It's easy to teach kids certain things without, without having pushback because kids are malleable. Kids take stuff in. And then when you say, oh, it's going to be so fun to play this soccer game, even though you don't want to play, let's play. Come on, let's go. You can literally get a kid, you know, jazzed into playing when they never wanted to play before. So, I, I, you know, there's just a lot of layers there, I think for me that I see that, that we, we need to start having the conversation about and why did we take out mental health care? How can we just let somebody self ID and start taking hormones with no safety net? That just, yeah. I'm not okay with that. I'm not. And it's not necessarily about saying, yes, you can transition. No, you can't transition. I think it prepares us for a successful transition. That's what we want. You know, to feel understood, to feel like we've really unturned the stones that, that we need to unturn and we've thought it through and and that somebody knows our story well enough that they're they're on this journey with us as as a support for us. That, that's I think that's really helpful. And I'd like to see more of that, not less of that. You know, the and when I was working with with youth, the vast majority of the youth that I worked with, you know, you I'd invite them to our um, trans youth support group and they'd say, no, thanks. Like they're so terrified of the trans community because of its extreme politics and its infighting and its cult-like way of thinking. The, the, the kids have picked up on that and the truly dysphoric kids who have like this very clear yeah. history of gender nonconformity and, and gender dysphoria from an early age who I felt yes, I recognize that in them, that they, they truly have this classic gender dysphoria. They want nothing to do with, with the trans community. And, and that's what, you know, clinicians who are all into those, you know, that very militant ideological way of thinking, they don't realize that they're not actually serving the vast majority of the kids that they say that they're that they're doing this for and protecting, they're actually alienating a lot of their clients who just want, because we're seeing a different type of person transitioning now, right? Like we've opened this up across cultures, kids in small towns are transitioning, kids in big cities all over are transitioning, um, who have never necessarily been a part of the queer community, who have never been a part of the trans community. They just want to fit into their own families and their own communities, their own cultures, and get on with their lives. And they feel so, I think, alienated by what they're seeing 
is the trans community. So if, if these clinicians think that they're doing their, their clients a favor and they're, mm-hmm. they're their cheerleaders, I think they're, they're really kind of tone deaf to the needs of, of the majority of the youth that are transitioning. Yeah. And you work with, you've worked with kids for a long time, right? Is, is that really ba- the basis of your, of your work? I wasn't doing trans care for a long time, but I, I've been working with youth for, for quite a few years now. So there you go. Anyone who's going to push back, you have a lot of time under your belt with youth. And that says why you're so, to me, why you are powerful in a sense, you actually have the experience with around the kids. So you're not just saying stuff. You actually have this experience with these kids who deal with all of this stuff and you are gold and why people need to hear what you're saying and and say, wait a minute here, I actually have experience. I'm not just saying this. So now we have this affirmative. What do you guys think about this affirmative care? Well, you know, Laura Edwards Leeper had said something interesting about this idea of affirmative care. And I agree with her that it's, I think it was her that said it in, in that, on that podcast, but um that the, the word that the affirmative care means so many different things to so many different people. It seems like we all have a different definition of what that means. I mean, I think it, in its original intent, it's still because I would say the WPATH um, standards of care as they're written now is a, is affirmative. I think that was the beginning of of the affirmative care, but they still recommend highly recommended psychotherapy mm-hmm. prior to transition. They didn't mandate it, but they highly recommended it. And and they definitely endorse thorough, careful assessment, especially for young people. Right. So affirming means an attitude that we're not say, ever saying, no, you're not who you say you are. Like, yeah. you know, but it, it still, it, it never intended to say, well, we're not going to do any assessment. So I think we're, we're kind of confusing the affirmative model of care with the informed consent model of care, which is now what's being practiced more and more. Mm-hmm. And people think when we talk about affirmative care, they think we're talking about that old system. And they don't realize because we're still calling it affirmative care, right? But but now what we're really doing is saying, well, no, we're just going to basically put hormones in vending machines and have you sign a waiver. And as long as you're <laughs> more or less capable of, you know, doing a basic ma- basic math equation. I mean, yeah, that's I'm right. They actually but... sign your name. You're good, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your script. <laughs> Go for it. So, so yeah, I see. Thanks for clearing that up because you're right. Affirm- this affirmative care has become a hot button topic, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it has maybe been um, uh, sort of skewed in what it actually means. But, but so, so what about therapists, right? We, we have a therapy space now that's called affirmation therapy. Is that, is that correct? And is that the same thing that they're supposed to be doing? Are they supposed to be assessing or do kids just go in and the therapist says, right, you said you're trans, you're trans, as opposed to sort of a long lengthy time within the therapy space. So what is affirmation therapy? Is that what it is? I think that's probably, I, I don't think it's like an official type of therapy, you know, with, with like, it's not like, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy where okay. we're trained to do it and it, and it right. follows certain principles, right? I think right. what, what, how clinicians practice it is probably pretty individual mm-hmm. with very little oversight, I think, right? I mean, that's the key word, people are oversight, doing, yeah. oversight, even with hormone blockers, oversight, <laughs> any of it is there any oversight in anything that's going on in transgender medicine right now is there it seemed to be one thing i keep going back to is um 
again with that that U.S. Path conference or uh, uh, talk meeting that we were in uh, last weekend, um, there was somebody who was training. I think he was almost done uh, in his his um, uh, his education to be a therapist, and he's basically very very pro the uh, affirmation. And he was basically saying is like it's not up to me as a therapist to tell someone who they are. They tell me, and I basically just guide them. You know down whatever path they need That's to go to true. affirm that right no it, it certainly <laughs> shouldn't be true but that seems to be the approach that everybody's taking with this is uh i always go back to the the trans gay conflation and so people are like oh if you tell me you're gay obviously you're gay i'm not going to be like are you sure let's let's unpack right. what got you you know and so right. they they do the same thing as like if somebody tells me they're trans right. without even having a coherent understanding of what trans means right. it's like well that's just who you are and now let's get you medication to to affirm that identity. Um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, that's what they mean by, by affirm is like trans is this innate sense of personal <laughs> identity is basically how it's approached. And so it's like, if somebody tells you, you know, they are trans, it's just like them telling yeah. you that they're a, a Christian. Like you can't, you can't talk them out of it because that's who they are and they know better than you do. So just, you know, Make but sure that's well ridiculous. Oh my gosh, that's so ridiculous. The whole point of therapy, not to talk you out of being trans, but to help you find that space. But but if you're not getting any kind of, not pushback, that's the wrong word. I don't know what word to use. But if you're not getting any, I guess, conversation with your therapist, why are you sitting in the therapist's office? Why are you going to the therapist's office just to get a stamp that says that you're trans? That is not therapy. That is something else because you're supposed to go. People go to therapy. I don't care what kind of therapy it is to deal with stuff that's going on. So they sit in a therapist's office and they have a conversation with a professional person who has been taught how to deal with certain things to help you to make sure you are making a life-changing choice. We're not talking about a career choice. We're not talking about, should I marry this dude or not? You're, we're talking about an actual life changing. That's the part that upsets me. It's not that simple. And it's not that sort of, I went through years of there. Thank God. I believe it is the reason why I am so stable as this person, because my therapist didn't just go, okay, here we go. They made me. And back in the day when we didn't even have any of this stuff, she even had the like understanding to make me go through steps, right? To make me just calm down and say, let's figure this out together and let's walk through this and let's make sure back then, let's make sure you're making the right choice. So that's why I don't like therapists who are like, oh, come to me because I'll just write you a letter. There's therapists yeah. out there who will just write a letter now because they think they're doing a service to this community. I saw I saw one of those. So I, I, I transitioned uh, initially uh, back in 2011 under the... Um, a not affirmative care that wasn't even a i mean that's a thing but it didn't apply right. uh, what's the uh, informed consent right and so yeah. basically right. no mental health comorbidities um saw an endocrinologist who who prescribed me testosterone mm -hmm. didn't have any therapy at all uh, but then when uh, and then obviously i got top surgery we you don't have to have a letter for that just paid out of pocket right and then i went to a um uh because my insurance through my, my employer was going to cover bottom surgery. And that was at a time when I was uh, planning on planning on going that route. I had to see a therapist obviously to get a letter for the, my insurance to cover the, um, uh, and to get a referral right for the surgery. Um, so I went and saw a therapist this back in 2016. Uh, and she told me that it wasn't her job to gatekeep. So I could tell her anything I wanted to, and she would write me that letter. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, just that's level. that's kind of the perspective they're coming from. Uh, I mean, then why are you even like? Yeah, what, what's the point of this? Oh. Yeah, 
why can't you just call up a surgeon and say, Hey, you know, I just need to get this taken care of right now. And like, why do you even need to go through mental health then? We should just like, you know, it's an insurance checkbox basically. That's right yeah. to cover their asses. That's right to cover their asses because the lawsuits, <laughs> well, I mean, really, yep. <laughs> we all think there's not going to be any lawsuits. Come on. There's going to be some parents out there who are going to be like, I was misled. I was misled. Thousands of them. Yeah. That's right. well, you told I, I, me yeah. my 12 year old needed to have their breasts removed. You told me this as a doctor. So that's the thing. There's no checks and balances. There's just this, do it. Everyone should be doing this. Everyone should be giving their child this, you know, when there's no like, wait a minute, every child is different. How can we lump every, and why are we calling them trans kids? These are just kids with dysphoria. They're not trans kids. So we keep putting these labels, which to me is so bizarre because everyone hates labels supposedly. And then we just keep stamping these identities onto everybody. When kids are not the same, kids deal with all kinds of people are not the same. Me, our dysphoria might all be different here. All the reason why me and you all transition could totally be different. How we feel in our transition. I mean, the fact that we're making us also the same, you know, is just bizarre. And it says a lot to me that my conspiracy mind is like, wait a minute here. This is like a scary movie. <laughs> I, I do think that's one of the things that um, is a game changer in this whole system is the parents. Because prior to them transitioning kids, it was just transitioning a bunch of like traumatized sort of emotionally vulnerable i mean i don't want to paint a picture that we were all you know damaged people but we often were at the point when we were transitioning it's because we were desperate at that point and we were vulnerable and not our strongest right we weren't in our best space and that was the whole point of transitioning um and as such we weren't the maybe the best people to advocate for ourselves in all cases or to be able to see because we were just so desperate for this treatment that we weren't necessarily didn't necessarily have like a critical eye on how's this going like how is this system going but when you have parents who are taking their kids to this care the parents are going to look at it through a very different lens than the dysphoric kid who's desperate and hungry for for relief right so so it's 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 holding the system accountable in a way that I think it's never been quite held accountable before. Mm, okay. Because now for every child entering into the system, you've got at least one parent who's saying, I want to make sure my child has the best care possible. And, and they're not seeing that happen in, in many cases. That's, right. That's an excellent point. Yeah. I consider that. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the parents really. And, you know, as a parent, I get it. And I feel so like when parents call me, I just feel like I have to give them my time because I just, couldn't imagine if my kid was trans right now and like dealing with all of that, you know, I should be, I shouldn't be saying that as a trans person, but I am because the last thing I want is my kid to have to go through a space that isn't comfortable and is different and, and is for the rest of their life. For me, I would want to find a space for my kid that isn't alienating them from the rest of the world on some level, you know? And it's so, so I just, I just don't see that conversation happening for parents and the parents who call me are the ones who are questioning the system and saying, wait, Buck, why is there no information? And that this is one of the things they keep saying to me, why is there no information for us? And that's where Gender Dysphoria Alliance comes at. We really can do such a service right now to parents who don't necessarily want to take the, that, that, you know, affirmation space that your kid says they're trans, they're trans. No question about that. What parent doesn't question that? And so that, and it doesn't mean you're not a loving parent. You know, I, I, I I'm very, um, 
upset when people say that. Well, Buck, you know, you're you're being a little transphobic when you no, I'm questioning it because you should always question things around kids. And you should always just be like, like, what's happening here? And if we don't have any type of that, and parents are like, there's no information, Buck, other than affirmation. There's no information. How can I go to anywhere to get a, an opposing view of this? And, yeah, I, and, and how is a kid supposed to understand the difference between gender dysphoria or or body dysmorphia or that's right. some of their autism symptoms or right. right so so we have to have accurate diagnosis um and diff, you know differential diagnosis to be able to say it, it, you know so people don't want gatekeeping saying no you're not trans but what if it's very evident that the kid has arrived at believing that they're trans because they have body dysmorphia and you can tell by their description of that that that's actually quite different from gender dysphoria like that's not conversion therapy that's just that's just you know under as properly assessing what their thought process was and if they've made mistakes in their thought process we, we do need to correct those mistakes uh that's the whole point of having mental health care this idea that mental health care is a gatekeeper is so insane to me like what are you talking about it's the whole reason we have that it's like if you break your leg you don't go home and put a stick and a thing around it because you can just take care of it yourself you got to go to a doctor who's been really been been taught how to deal with creating so your leg doesn't do this for the rest of your life that you go to a professional and fix that space and they know they've been trained to do that, right? Are we even training therapists at this point to have, a, 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 to not just be, okay, yeah, you're trans, but to say, wait a minute here, let's have this conversation with you. And the fact that they call it conversion therapy, that's again, another hot button. That, what they keep doing is they keep putting these words in there that are so scary, are these, right? These things that are so scary. And so, oh, we don't want to do conversion therapy on our trans kid. But what if your kid is gay? <laughs> what if your kid is just a gay kid and they're thinking of it in a different way because it's so confusing. It's confusing your sexuality at a young age. It's confusing if people aren't talking about your gender at this age. And just because you feel like a boy, does that make you a boy? Or just because you you know feel this certain way towards people, does that make you this? No, that's the, that's the thing that's missing that nuanced space, right? That conversational space. And we need to remember that, you know, this is a fairly new thing, right? They, that we, they haven't been medically transitioning people for the last thousand years. This is this is historically fairly new. What did gender nonconforming people with dysphoria, because I'm sure we existed from the yeah. beginning of time, what did we do in the past? Like, did we all just kill ourselves? I don't believe that. I think different cultures throughout history had different ways of integrating us into society. Some were probably better than others at doing that. So, you know, I'm sure there have been cultures throughout history that, that totally brutalized people that were different. But there have been examples historically of, of communities that did integrate gender nonconformity mm -hmm. into their worldview and into their communities in a way that that sounded pretty healthy and i think it's i think it's worth examining like could i have been happy if our if our society was organized in that way and would have supported me as a gender non-conforming dyke like maybe this all would have gone differently for me and, and i could have been happy with that and so what's wrong with always rethinking this like is medicalization the only way to go and and i think not that I want to remove, I'm not saying let's, let's remove it and scrap the whole thing. I'm just asking questions, right? I'm just having That's a conversation right. and thinking right. it all through and, and, th and always reevaluating, like, is there another way we could have done this so that we could have felt comfortable and, and 
and confident and, and healthy being ourselves. Um, you know, I think the reason why more, because historically it was mostly um, uh, natal men that were transitioning, right? Mm -hmm. Back in, in Blanchard's day when he was studying the two, the two types of dysphoria, they were seeing mostly men in their practice or trans women um, mm -hmm. in their practice. I think the reason for that, um, actually Blanchard, Blanchard described, explained that quite well in a recent interview. He said the reason they were seeing more men transitioning than, than women <clears throat> is because for men, there's two types. With men, there's both HSTS and, and um, AGP. Whereas for women, um, <clears throat> women for the most part don't have paraphilias. I mean, maybe in rare cases, but as a general rule, it's men that have paraphilias, not women. And so women who have gender dysphoria, the classic gender dysphoria, it was always the HSTS dysphoria. So of course you're going to have more men transitioning than women, right? Because you've got two types on one stream, one type on the other side. There's probably just as many um, lesbians who have gender dysphoria as gay men. But I think what, what the lesbian community did differently than the gay male community is the, is the butch femme subculture, where a lot of, of dysphoric butch women found a place for themselves where they were, their masculinity was recognized and, and um, you know, they could find life partners or sexual partners and, and have a lifestyle maybe that where they felt like who they were was supported and, and had a lifestyle organized around that that made sense to them. I don't think there's been an equivalent in gay male culture that I'm aware of where very, very effeminate gay men you know, have a similar kind of subculture in which they could pair with the people that they're attracted to and, and, and felt that their femininity, femininity was supported. I mean, how many um, classified ads have we seen in the gay male community, straight looking, straight acting, looking for same, right? I, right. I don't think real highly effeminate gay men um, are often embraced by no. gay men. No, they're not, actually. They're not. But I think maybe so some other cultures, right? Like, in Thailand, I do know that effeminate men are, you know, not necessarily looked down upon, right? And there's a large, there is a large transition, but they're not looked down upon. They're actually kind of sort of celebrated. And I think in India, transsexual women are also, were also celebrated for many cultural, like for a long, for most of the time in the culture. There are cultures who do, but I think what you're saying is so profound. And I think people need to hear that, what you're saying that there are levels to all of these things, right? And then just because you're a feminine man and you're not being accepted within your community, is that something that would possibly make you think, well, maybe I should just be a woman and maybe my life will be better. Is that, could that possibly be what's going through somebody's mind when they're not being accepted in this one space? And maybe, you know, if we did have a place for them, some people would still want to transition, but I think I still think it's a worthy, um, project right is is to look yes. at that and 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 to create more acceptance and inclusivity true inclusivity you know and diversity yes to to, to kind of look at our communities i mean we're all we all point fingers right that yes, right. We point fingers at the men and the, and the gay people point fingers at straight people but i think we're <laughs> all we're all guilty we we've all yeah, contributed to this you know explosion of transition i i agree I, I i say it all the time i really feel on some level i sometimes you know putting my story out there for 20 plus years right in the media and all of that and some of the things i said i see 
being used sometimes in the thing and I do in, in this situation. And I'm like, ah, oh, did I contribute to this? Because all I've ever said is my, my, my life is amazing. My transition changed my life. I, I would never be, I would be dead. I would be, you know, like I celebrate, I've, I've created so many things I never thought I could create because I just was not okay with my, it was my transition that really made me this person. So, and which is true and why I did put my, but then I think to myself, uh, did I contribute to this sort of celebration of being trans? It's so tough. Cause you, you couldn't have known, right? Like you, you couldn't have foreseen where this has gone. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole different territory. I wouldn't, Oh, go on, Aaron. It, it, well, it's it's so tricky though because I mean, on one hand, you're right. Like none of us want to contribute right to this like kind of culty like everything trans is is so awesome and, and you know beautiful and glitter, glittery and sparkly. But but at the same time, you know, people are transitioning, and we want to be able to influence in a healthy way like this community and and how we can transition um and be a healthy productive member of society so if so it's so tricky i I don't know if i'm kind of articulating that quite right but how do we find the fine line between not appearing to be you know what the the accusation of grooming kids to be trans right but at the same time like the reality is young people are transitioning. So that's right. And, and so, so that's we why, do need to be adults and that's right. And help them, you know, not be that's all, why they, all they see is the, is the sort of the craziness and the extremism and the, the aggressive politics and the weirdness of the community. Yes. How is that? How are they going to fare? Right. So, so I don't yes. know. I don't know how to get that, that balance, right. Like to, on one hand, influence them in a, in a healthy way, of how to do a, a transition successfully and and be productive members of society, but but not on the other hand contribute to to memorization, yeah, to sensation. Well, I think just by being here, and I think by talking what we're doing, and by getting backlash, and by saying, you know, I don't think any of us are saying to anybody, you're not trans. Like I, that's not my space. My space is exactly what you said. I really want to be here as an older person who transitioned and just be able to give to the kids who, you know, are like me. And so whatever, I don't know what's going on over there. It, 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 you know, and I, I always say this, adults can do what they want. I don't care if you're 18 years old and you want to do, you go right ahead and make that choice or whatever. I'm really, my concern at this time is transitioning young children with medication and with some things. And so, so for me, if I'm going to be a role model or whatever to an older trans kid out there who feels that that's okay. I feel very comfortable with that. What I, what I don't feel comfortable with is using my transition as a means and a way to say like, so if Buck would have been on hormone blockers, he probably wouldn't have gone through all those bad things. That's the part that I don't like. Don't use my story in a means in a way, you know, because my life is the way it is because I did suffer and I have accepted that and I have dealt with it. And I look at me, <laughs> I'm not a mess, yeah. <laughs> even contrary to what some people would think. I'm not a mess. And, you know, some of that struggle and I'm not saying everyone should struggle because, you know, how people take stuff out of context. I'm saying my own story and my own struggle did create who I am. 
And my struggle did help me become more powerful in my own skin, in my own space. And so is struggle on some level bad? I, I think everyone has to struggle on some level, whatever that means. And is, if we're not giving a kid hormone blockers, are they really going to be struggling? That, that, that's my question. Is, is it really going to be a struggle for this kid to just wear the boy clothes and just be, you know, Tommy on the playground with the other kids. Kids are small. Kids are so awesome, right? Kids can totally be very malleable and be like put in a situation with other kids and the other kids are like, whatever, you're Tommy now. You used to be Susie. It's happened at my school, you know, and the kids are just like, we don't care, whatever. That's literally what the kids are saying. And I'm like, and this kid is not transitioning through blockers or just transitioning with clothes and a name change, right? So how come we're not finding these balances and understanding that, you know, that's just what I want. I want to, I also want to balance there. I want to say like, you know, I'm here as exposing myself, but it doesn't mean everyone should be like me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the reality for, for any um, adolescent is they're so focused on just belonging. That's right. Right. I mean, we all remember what it feels like to be a teenager and that's, there's nothing more important to a teenager than just belonging to a peer group right having having a group of friends and so, I, so but support like when we talk about well we got to support these kids absolutely we need to support them mm-hmm. but why does support have to come in the form of medication in all cases like you know why can't we um you know just get them talking about what they're actually feeling and experiencing and, and what are all of their barriers to feeling like they belong somewhere and is there a way that we can help them in the school system or, or, or wherever they're at, you know, to, to feel more seen and accepted and, and integrated into peer groups without necessarily changing their body right away. I mean, they could decide to do that as an, as an adult, That's but right. why does support always have to mean one way of doing things? That's right. That's you guys exactly. listened to um, two weeks ago, Jenna Wetterlands with, with Helena, uh, what she contributed to that. I'm not yeah, sure if you heard really that. Good. It's so good. Um, I think so much of what people are missing with the teenage transitioners um, is that it is it is entirely about about first identifying a social group to belong to and then transitioning as a means of solidifying your place within that group. So it's not so much that these kids are gender nonconforming naturally or have dysphoria so much as you know trans is so glamorized and you know cis is so stigmatized that you know, there's there's so much incentive to identify as trans, regardless of and you know it's entirely external. So, so if you have you know basically just hearing about the, you know how how noble and pure and uh, cool it is to be trans and how um, well boring and um, and also just just raw like bad to be to be cis. Um, like Helena was talking about essentially like how uncomfortable she felt trying to present as a trans boy, as she put it, and how much she wished she could just be comfortable in the clothes that she always wore before, but no, she has to do this thing to prove that she is uh, a trans man. And I, and I spoke to people years ago um, who, who had very similar, I mean, they didn't say it as much, but they would say things like, oh, I wish I could wear women's clothes again. And I'm like, like, it's just um, uh, very much, so when Hel- Helena was talking about all that, it was like I, a lot of things that I heard from other, started hearing from other trans men, um, you know, around 17, 18, made a lot more sense with this kind of like, you're, you're, you're doing this performance in order to 
be validated in this social network you want to you want to be a part of or or that you've basically feel almost obliged to be part of because not being non-binary or trans in some way means you are an evil oppressor and so there's just so much incentive for these kids to have this trans identity and almost like sacrifice their actual comfort and their actual you know mode of being in the world in order to conform to this what is in yeah, it's clearer and clearer every day, a religious subgroup, a religious subculture. Um, and and to, to exist outside of that is basically, you know, social suicide, essentially. And so I think so many parents don't realize what these kids are engrossed in. So many clinicians don't see it. It's so, um, yeah, it's not so much a, ways of, a, a way of managing their dysphoria or their gender distress as it is a means of, of solidifying the, the yeah. social belonging. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I saw it as a clinician for sure, uh, you know, because I, I mean, you know, obviously I have intimate knowledge of what gender dysphoria is and feels like and the impact uh, of it on, on a person's functioning. And um, it was very clear that some of these youth that I was seeing had classic gender dysphoria and they tended to be the ones that's like, keep me away from the trans community. I want nothing to do with it. I just want just, I just want to be a man, get on with my life. I, you know, if they were working, they, you know, they're, and then we'd have, have the youth that seem to be wanting to enter into the trans community, right? It, just as you're saying, Aaron, like it, it was like all my friends are transitioning and they're all on hormones. So, so give me hormones because I feel left out because they're all doing it and, and, and I'm not doing it yet. So two very different frames of mind, two very different motivations for transitioning. And the whole system today seems designed around those that are doing this as a social club. So they're the ones attending all these, you know, support groups and social groups and, and engaging in all the services. And the people who are truly dysphoric aren't being served by the system very well at all. And they're just, they're just disappearing with no support oh, wow. and trying to figure it out by themselves. That, I mean, that's what I'm seeing. And that really, that I just, that's why I can't participate in it. I, I, we're not serving the people that we were supposed to be, this whole thing was supposed to be designed for in the first place. Actually, that just makes me want to cry. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. You, what you just said, and I hope the whole world just heard what you just said, is so profound. And that's the problem right there. The actual kids with dysphoria are so freaked out about being belonging to something that does not reflect them in any way, shape, or form, which is where I started to feel as a transsexual man, this community is not reflecting me in any way, shape, or form. So the kids that are actually, you know, really dealing with what I dealt with are getting misplaced not being put in the system, but the kids who are sort of what you I said, social contagion on some level, right? Or whatever you want to call it, are being put in the space because they, they, they see it and they're gravitating towards it as a means and a way to belong to something and do not necessarily, that's why they took out those equations, right? You don't need dysphoria to be trans. When I started hearing that, kids would write me all the time. Hey, Trampa, do I need dysphoria? <laughs> they would actually ask me the question. And I'm like, first off, I'm not a professional. But secondly, that's usually been the equation, kiddo. <laughs> if you have gender dysphoria, you're probably trans. But like, but I don't have that, they would say to me. And I'm like, well, then you might not be trans. So, but I'm trans. I know I am. And I'm like, but what? <laughs> what? So I even saw on one website, it says you don't even need to be trans. <laughs> Oh my you don't god. Need to be trans to transition? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it's going to end, you guys. Like, that's the beginning of the end. That's the beginning. That's Those are the things we actually need to hear. I saw somebody who's a prominent trans rights activist. I forgot the person's name and who cares. Um, right. I'm like, <laughs> wait, what did they write? Something like, I'm a trans woman. I'm also a biological woman. I, I'm a trans woman. I'm also a biological woman. That was like literally the tweet. I'm like, what? Are, are we actually losing our minds? Like, are you actually living in real reality? Because those two statements just don't actually work together. I'm like, we're just... Aria might be a mental illness, but that's a whole separate kind of illness. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not dealing with mental health care at all, dude. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know. Just... I like the new uh, transit. The, the concept of transition is transphobic, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you're trying to conform to to to, to cis standards of, of you know gender or whatever. We have to make a comedy, you guys. I really <laughs> to create a, a series for Netflix. They'll actually probably pick it up. <laughs> At this point, they'll probably pick it up. <laughs> oh my god! Like with, with cameos by J.K. Rowling and uh, <laughs> Margaret Atwood. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're going after Margaret Atwood. You know, she she on I spoke with her on an event. She's such a lovely lady and she's just done so much for women's rights. And you know, when I just see that, I just, you know, I bleh, I just wanna just vomit, you know. Not you cool. know, and it's gonna just like you know, the whole JK Rowling thing piqued a lot of people because I, you know, had been hearing, oh, she's you know, a transphobe. <laughs> and I went and, and read what she actually wrote. It's like Really? Like, yeah. she said right in the essay that she loves and supports trans people. It's just the politics that she disagrees with. Well, I do too, so... Yes, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> and Margaret Atwood's tweet, again, was, was this very kind of balanced, like, right. I, you know, yes, we need rights for trans people, but, but right. the violent, toxic politics aren't okay that that's all she tweeted so that's right and everybody that's... proved that article over and over again by being yep. toxic and aggressive <laughs> yeah totally dude totally it's so it's so so now you're just going to keep shutting down women's voices because whatever they're not representing you as a trans woman when you're just well, and that article is written by a trans woman she just tweeted <laughs> an article an op-ed written by a trans woman <laughs> <And> <laughs> Yeah, it yeah, can't pe get pe yeah people are, people are, yeah, yeah, there's going to be another peak parade, that's for sure. That's for sure, yeah. 100%. Canadians, I was just excited, it's like Canadians are finally going to peak. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we got to get those Canadians, dude, what's up with it? My dad's Canadian, so I can talk shit. <laughs> From Winnipeg, so I can really talk shit. <laughs> right in the middle of Canada, I can't Ooh. get more Canadian than Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah, you know, I do, I do see the pendulum swinging back. I do. And, you know, that's just inevitable. That's just the way the world works. When you go that far, dude, you better be prepared for that serious swing back. And that's why I'm so sad. We never needed to do that, you guys. You, you all know we were on a really good 
place, I think. We were really growing as a community and people were really starting. I mean, I can only say for myself, traveling, speaking, all the way people treated me around the world. I mean, just people were like so lovely and amazing and really wanted to see me be successful. And that's the cisgender world, right? Very few of the people around me were ever trans. It was always, and they uplifted me and they cared about me. And they, you know, and, and that's the part I think that really just makes me sad. This idea that we had to go so far over here to get trans rights. And, you know, we alienated so many people who were on our side before and are now just gross. They don't even want to have anything to do with us. And I, I don't blame them. I mean, because that's not a representation of us. And, and this got so out of hand and so insane that people just don't like us now, which is what I'm saying. It never needed to go to that space. It, it, it was really just going in such a great way. You know, I have a friend here who transitioned their child at at seven. And I was a little bit disturbed by it. I'll be honest with you. The kid now I think is uh, like maybe 12 and doing so amazing and just really uh, in their space. And so I, I am aware that some kids will benefit from transitioning 100%. But that was before it just became this sort of, bleh, you know, this kid was very sort of on his own on some level. And, and, and it wasn't a whole pack of kids just taking blockers and parents parents are like, yay, I have a trans kid. That started to make me feel weird. Like who's celebrating their trans kid on the internet and putting pictures, you know, and of their kid's top surgery. And I'm like, what is that to me just made me go, wow, what is happening here when parents are just putting pictures of their kids' surgeries on the internet? It's so bizarre. That is a trend, isn't it? That it, you know, parents of trans kids. I mean, it's, I mean, I get it. I get where that, where it comes from, but, but when you kind of take a more of a bird's eye view on the whole thing, like you got parents that are on social media celebrating their trans kid, but would they be doing that in the same way if it, if it was a gay kid or a straight kid, like we should be loving our kids period, right. right? Not uh, singling some of them out and that's right. And celebrating think, some, but not others. Artie had a good point when he was on uh, a few episodes back when we talked to, to him and Robbie, and he was basically saying that having having a, a trans kid is the new gay kid. You don't you don't get um, you don't get low uh, liberal progressive you know credibility <laughs> points for having a gay kid anymore. But you do for having a trans kid, right? That's then, so true. You're then the you know the really the really progressive parent if you're transitioning your child, you know, and, yeah. and there's a lot of, there's a lot of social credit in it as well. And I can't, a lot of people are, I was reading an article yesterday. I want to say, I can't remember who wrote it um, or where I saw it, but, but the whole Munchausen by proxy thing seems to, to, to play a, a, a large role in this as well is just like the kind of, not just the social uh, congratulations you get for having a trans child, but also the, the medical, you know, the medical attention uh, yeah. that, that, comes with that as well. I mean, I don't want to put such dark, you know, um, uh, motivators on parents. I think a lot of it too is in, was 100% well-meaning and they've, yeah. they've, they've yeah. bought the whole suicide narrative stuff yeah. and that, yeah, you can't even fathom what these parents are being put through in some cases where they literally think I have to do this or my child, you know, will kill themselves. Like what a, what a ridiculous, you know, to have to, to live with that is, is awful. Um, but yeah, I think I think a lot of the ones who are being very very vocal about transitioning their kids, I think a lot of that comes from, look at me, look at me, um, yeah. how great I am. 
Yep. I tell, I totally agree because the parents that I have talked to said, but all they're telling me is my kid will kill themselves. That's what they're telling. They, they're, they're actually telling them. So I don't know what to do, but cause like now I, I, I'm not, I'm going to just do it because that's the only option I have. They're actually saying, do you want a dead son or a live, you know, daughter or whatever? Like just these, 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 these phrases they're putting in a parent's ear would make any parent just go, okay, no worries. I'm going to totally make this happen and not giving them any time to sort of have a calm. They're not even giving parents time, right. To have a conversation or to sit in a therapy office with the kid or, you know, just like bring the fam. You know, I'm all about family. And so what I see a lot of times is this tearing apart of the family and that's just not going to work for me. You cannot take the child. You cannot work with a child without the family. That's ridiculous. And that's wrong. The whole point of the transition is to make the family a happy family and everyone's together and we're all doing this together, not to separate a child from their family because they don't get you. And that's a lot of the language and stuff that parents are telling me. I feel like they're, you know, when they start to, I don't know about where you guys live, but I think here in California, Recently, they changed the law where the where the school system can change the child's gender, can change the child's name within the system and create this space for a trans kid at school. But they're not telling the parents at home. What? Wait a minute. What? These are nine, 10, 11 year old kids who are going to school with the whole other identity and then coming home and not the parents have no idea this is happening in school. How is that legal? That seems- what does that do to a kid psychologically as well? Where they're essentially That's right. being being That's right. being filtered into living a dual life at wow. ten yeah. years old. That's that's wow. There's so many contradictions and, and ethical <laughs> dilemmas, you know, in yeah. in the work. I mean, yeah. on, because on one hand, it, it seems pretty clear in like surveys and and stuff that kids do better when they've got family support. So you would think that the priority then, if 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 the family support is is one of the number one predictors of that child's mental health moving forward, why wouldn't more emphasis be placed on, well, let's work with these families then and, and, and try to help the whole family, you know, talk about this and, and, and address this together. And, and if that means maybe slowing down a child's transition for, for, you know, longer yeah. in order to, for the family to catch up and understand this, and wouldn't that be a better outcome? Maybe not, and that has to be decided probably on a case by case basis, yes. right? But yes, yes, but case, that case I mean, I think about this family, like in here in, in BC, that the dad that went to went to jail, um, you know, for he was opposed to the kids' transition. And from what I've read, I mean, of course, there's a lot of media sensationalism around that, but I did see him do um, a public talk, it was on, on YouTube, and he said, like. I wasn't picking up on like frothing at the mouth transphobia from him. He, what he was saying was it just was so fast that this kid, you know, that the two parents split up, which is always going to be hard on the kids. That's when the kids started to kind of unravel and, and derail. And, and, you know, there were some various things that were going on in that kid's life. The kid was suffering from poor mental health and, and struggling. And, and then, the trans identity came out and then it, it, it so it just seems so fast you know how fast the kid was put on the medical pathway after like you know a couple of visits in the context of all this family chaos and and pain and suffering within the family unit and 
so I, I, I could sort of hear where the dad was coming from, that if, if they had just slowed down and, and, and worked with the whole family and, and acknowledged that d dysphoria develops in the context often of a family mm -hmm. dynamic. Mm -hmm. and, and if we're not doing really um, trauma-informed, mental health-informed, family-informed, mm -hmm. you know, work with these, we're missing a really big, piece and so how is that I can only imagine how that kid feels because as far as I know the kid had a, had a good relationship with dad all along how does a kid feel knowing their dad is sitting in jail because of their transition like what is the mental health impact of, of that and the yeah. burden on that kid so is that a great outcome for this whole family and no it's, and the child? it's the worst outcome ever first off they broke up the family are you kidding me when a you family that was already fractured right so then and not just put a wedge right right in it some people can separate and it's okay you know what i mean and you, you can actually have a family unit with a separation in the family but they use that trans thing to fucking separate it even more and you're right what's the trauma do they even care about the trauma of their dad of this kid dealing with their dad in jail because they're trans like no one's even talking about that that is such a brilliant point you just said but it's only about this kid transitioning and that's the only thing anybody talks about but there are uh, outlying that's why i get so mad when people are like just don't tell your parents or you know the the shit i read on the internet is so, you know on your glitter family are you insane <laughs> what are you doing like these kids need their family more than ever at this at this juncture in their life and 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 to to act as if the parents aren't going to be okay with you transitioning means the parents are bad parents is disgusting and and the fact that we as the trans community are are putting that message out there is is just insane to me and it says so much about what we actually care about what is it <laughs> what do we actually care about to me it's numbers right it's about transitioning in numbers that's what i see as opposed to these individualized spaces that we have to get back to we're not all the same none of us are and we never will be and when we're working with these families is with the young people like because we're not allowed to talk about what dysphoria is anymore right yeah. the, the, the community narrative now is well not all trans people have dysphoria That's right. uh, okay so what is it to be trans well you know like people just sort of you know there's a gender spectrum and they, so our whole explanation of what trans is to the average person makes absolutely no sense right. but we're expecting parents to just embrace that and get on board like if we if we actually educate <laughs> by scientific principles and give them something that That's actually right. makes sense to mm -hmm. their worldview instead of trying to shove queer theory down their throats like i think we would probably see a lot more families come on on board with their kids right if That's they really right. understand like right. what is it this kid is is going through what is gender dysphoria That's right because if right. I mean I think if if the, let's say the, if the kid has something else like diabetes or whatever I mean of course no parent wants their child to have any condition of any kind right but if you, if the kid had diabetes and you wanted them on insulin but you told the parents well you know the the kid has this like sparkly glitter um, you know hormone in in their blood and that's why they're diabetic and and so we've got to give them this this like <laughs> hormone or they're gonna die like we're not giving the family something that they could actually believe in and get behind and and be a support for their kid that's right and and most parents don't you think they want to see some some s sort of factual space where hormone blockers or puberty blockers whatever or have been really instrumental in helping oh well we can probably show you stuff where it hasn't been 
right? I mean, there's a lot, people are not doing it anymore in a lot of different countries for a reason. Yet here we are in the United States pushing it like it's like the new found thing to do, but the studies show different. And then no one wants, why are we not showing these to parents? So parents can have, right? What about what happened to informed choice? How can you make an informed decision when you don't have all of the pros and cons? There are pros and cons to everything, everything. And so we're not doing that. I just see, oh, get, there's definitely a reason your kid should be on puberty blockers. And don't worry what those other people say. And yeah, it is re reversible when I've read completely different things than what these people are saying. <laughs> so why are we not giving this information out there? And that's the part that makes me scared when we're not being upfront and we're not really being transparent with what puberty blockers can and cannot do. And there's so much polarization in this conversation. And yeah. we definitely see that on Twitter, but yeah. I mean, it, that's where it gets the ugliest maybe, but, and, and, in, and in the UK, I mean, that ugliness is now on the streets. That's right. um, and I fear that that's coming to North America within the next couple of years. But I think the remedy, and this is why I feel so passionate about just educating about what gender dysphoria is, you know, using our the best, I think there's still question marks about mm -hmm. it, but I think we, we need to use the best of, of available evidence and, and just educate what is dysphoria, because mm -hmm. I think that is what grounds us all, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because no matter no matter what camp someone is in, you know, whether they're extreme trans activists or, ex you know, extreme feminists or whatever, like everyone seems to have their own opinion about what this is. Like, oh, these trans people, they're all just perverts. All oh, these trans people, they're all just, they all just have OCD or they're all this personality disordered or they're all this or they're all that. I mean, everyone has their own version of what they think trans is, um, both trans people and non-trans people alike, right? Everyone has their own version. And I feel like what cuts through all of that noise is what is gender dysphoria, right? What does the evidence say? That's right. That's right. So that's why I think gender dysphoria alliance is so important because we can put information out there that I don't see being represented anywhere. And that's why we get attacked. I mean, the, the, the amount of attacks, I, I just, somebody just sent me something the other day that some trans woman wrote how horrible we are and how disgusting we are and how dare we do this. And I'm like, but why are we disgusting? Yeah. Why? I, <laughs> because we have a difference of opinion. We're disgusting. I mean, you know, the thing is that we're going to expose the hypocrisy in this community and that's what they're scared of. I think they're scared of the fact that we're coming to this with a different opinion and factual information. And that scares them because now people are going to start to question what the hell is really going on, which is what I want. I want people to question what the hell is really going on here because I believe that transitioning saved my life. And I believe that it will save other people's lives. But right now, the way we're going, I believe it's going to hurt more than it's going to help. And the way we've alienated so many much of the world and especially in women's rights, and what we've done there is so shocking to me that how other people just got so on board with this woke idea that trans men are men and trans women are women is so, you know, the erasure, that's erasing trans experience. When you put the first female blah, 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 who's a trans woman, you're erasing factual information, number one. Number two, why can't you say the first trans woman? Why can't you say that? Because that to me is more important if you care about this community for youngsters coming up in the world to say, Hey, I can be that. 
But if you just put that's a woman when it's not, you know, a biological woman, but an actual trans woman, you're erasing things for the young generation to see I can be something. I can be this trans person and be a success in the world. That's what I see when we erase this language. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that that seems to be happening in, in the women's <clears throat> the world more than the men's. Like we're, we're and not, what's that about? <laughs> yeah, we tend to see that with trans men so much. Nope. You don't see the erasure of the word man. You don't see people with, with, with testicles. You don't see that being said. You see people with uteruses. But I never see anywhere people with testicles or, you know, anything that deals with male space. Men, for some reason, the man thing isn't being erased, only the woman thing. Weird. I don't know any trans men that are pushing that. I mean, I'm, I'm sh sure they're, they're out there, but none, none that I know are the ones pushing that. Me neither. I don't see it either. Why do you think we get so much... Um, uh, uh, accusations of hate and whatnot because okay so what we're really trying to do right is we're saying that you know underneath this this umbrella that is that is trans there's a myriad of experiences and different needs and uh you know what dysphoria feels like you know we're trying to shed light on all these things and in, historically when we're talking about you know the rights of marginalized peoples and whatnot the more people know about that demographic the less hate the less discrimination the more support um right and so it seems like with the with the trans lobby we're trying to go in the opposite direction it's like no they can't know anything about us this <laughs> must be a mystery this must be just just this trans branding and you know what what is that about you know I hate to say it, but I feel like what that it's about is they know that when people start picking at this, start uncovering details, the less support, um, the, you know, you know, it's like uh, the more the more questions uh, asked, the more um, kind of shaky territory we get into. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but it's like it's like you know, what what is with that incentive to discourage any sort of inquisition, any sort of of light shedding? Um, you know, what, what, what's the aim there? What, what are they afraid of? Well, that's a great question. A great I, I see what you're saying because that's why they continually shut down the conversation. Right. And that's why they came up with those words like turf, you know, true scum, whatever else. I don't know. They're just calling us all kinds of weird stuff to shut, shut down the conversation. Or transphobic. They're calling us transphobic, which is, says everything in itself. So, so I, I think what they're doing is they don't want people to ask questions and when you don't want people to ask questions or you're not willing to have the conversation, that says there's something to hide. That's me. I believe that they're trying to hide something, right? Because if what, 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 anyone can ask me anything. I've traveled the world and people ask me every question from here to there. I've never ever said that does that feels transphobic to me or that feels uncomfortable. I've been very willing to answer every question. And because of that, people come to you more and people are willing to see your pain and suffering of living that way and saying, oh, wow, Buckso deserves to live this life now because he did have a little suffering in his life. But that, but I vote because of my honesty, right? My honesty that I'm not a, I'm not a biological man. <laughs> I never will be. I'm not a dude like you. I'm a dude like me. And I've celebrated that forever. And because of that, I never pushed on other dudes, right? And other dudes straight. I, I'm friends with the most straight dudes around and they think I'm so cool because I don't push on their own masculinity, right? So when you start pushing on women's space saying, I'm a woman too, and we're this, no, you're not. You're not the same kind of woman that I am. You're a different type of woman, 
Why can't we celebrate your difference? And why do you want to overrun these spaces to say that you are like, because you're not like, you never will be. But for some reason, they cannot hear that. And it makes them feel very angry about the fact that no one's looking at them like a woman. When people are completely respectful of trans women, when they come to the space as respectful back to other people. Um, does that, am I making sense? Yeah, you're making total sense. And you know, some of the feedback that we've been receiving from the podcast since we've just started opening up these conversations and telling our stories as, as honestly and openly as we can, the feedback that we've gotten from so many people is thank you. It's really helped me to understand who you are and what you've been through. And because people just don't know, right? I mean, even people that, that want to, to support us, they don't hate us, they, but they, they might struggle to understand us. That's right. So like, if you're not willing to have the conversation, then guess what's going to happen? People are going to start having all kinds of different ideas. People are going to see the other ones that are out there. Ah, you're a transphobe. And then like, <laughs> here we are. We are, we have set ourselves back 20 years. You all know that as well as I do. We have set ourselves back to a space where people used to want to fucking call us tranny all the time and call us weirdos and freaks and your nutcases. I see it all the time. I go to the right and I look at everything that people are saying about us and posting pictures of us and making fun of us and calling us all kinds of fucked up names because there's no respect for us anymore. Zero respect. They think we're all a bunch of fucking wing nuts who are trying to push this agenda of transit. You'll never be a man. You'll never be a woman. The language is coming from God, man. We didn't have that language for so long. And now everyone is coming back just saying all of that shit. They used to be like, I respected trans people before. You know, they're like, fuck those trans people. And I'm like, what? We're losing. We are losing in this battle. As much as people think we're winning, we are losing. And we are going to lose a lot more than what what we see right now we are not winning we are we are the only reason why they've they've gotten away with as much as they've gotten away with is people are terrified that's right i don't want a relationship with society that people are terrified around oh. me like i want people to be comfortable i want to be part you know healthy relationships with my community and and my family and the people in my life that's right and there's no shame in being trans right so they, they have this narrative out there where but at the same time they're trying to hide it by saying we're men and women so you guys are contradicting yourself constantly. Nobody can get on board with us when one day you're saying we're men and then the next day you're saying we're trans men and trans rights and trans this, but you got to call us men and biology is fake. And <laughs> you are you are making people's heads spin. You, you're not, uh, you, you guys are not speaking straightforward in a way that people can actually comprehend what do we really need? What do we as a community really want in this world? What is it that we need to participate in the world in order for the world to participate back? We're not participating. We're running people over. And I'll tell you what, in any group of people that runs people over, people are going to be like that. Mm -hmm. They are. They're not going to be mm -hmm. part of us. And yeah. I think that's where we're losing out. We're not having a conversation. We're literally dominating the conversation. I saw a photo recently. There was a, um, a protest when... Megan Murphy um, did a speech here in BC and there was a huge protest. Yeah. So I saw a picture of just the crowd of protesters <laughs> thinking maybe I might recognize somebody because that's you know, my, <laughs> my stomping grounds. I didn't recognize anybody and I didn't see, I mean, at least in terms of visual cues, yeah. I didn't see anybody that looked like a trans person. It, it, wow. I mean, I mean, I know some people pass and, and or whatever, but, yeah, but it, it looked like a pretty... Skin. Um, 
knights. It was seemed like more like the Antifa and um, <laughs> and you know allies. It, it didn't seem to be representative of the actual trans community at all. What? Like who are who are these people thinking that they're speaking on our behalf? Who are these people who are allies? Who are who are these people, and what gives them the right to even be t- attached? to our conversation. That's like me speaking for black people, right? Can you, I mean, and white people are doing that. We know that. Literally. And telling black people that they should shut up if they don't know. know. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> They're protesting at Netflix over a black comedian. <laughs> like, what happened to Black Lives Matter? Like, wait a minute here. You guys are totally trying to take out a black comedian who rose to the ranks right? Yeah, maybe his jokes could be construed as transphobic. Maybe some of the things he said shouldn't be said. But, you know, we have to learn. We have to learn as trans people that we are going to be part of the conversation. If we want to be part of the conversation, people are still going to make jokes about us. People are still going to, but it gives us an opportunity on some level to have the conversation when that happens, not to shut the conversation down. Because people do think like that about us. There's no doubt about it. When it, when it, when and it relieves tension. That it relieves right. tension. And that's been that's yeah. been the purpose, I think, of comedy in our culture. <laughs> They're like the court gesture jester of years ago, right? They they yeah. provide us that's right. with a little bit of like releasing some steam, right? Because comedy, stand-up comedy has always been kind of off-color jokes and poking mm-hmm. fun at people. And mm-hmm. but I think its cultural purpose is to just vent a lot of the tension in our society that, that had been on people's minds already. Mm-hmm. And it just gives you a chance to like laugh about it. And, 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 and that was sort of, the, yeah. I mean, throughout history, we've had, we've had like the, like I said, the court jester, that was sort of their role, right. Is, is to um, keep the King in checks and balances through, through comic relief. And I, I think comedy serves the same purpose today. Totally. So he's, he said exactly what's been on a lot of people's <laughs> minds and in, in a way that people can just sort of laugh about it and, and, and just kind of release some yeah. of that tension. Right. So I think, right. it's, I think it's a constructive thing. So do I. It, it creates conversation, but nobody wants to have conversation. Either you're a turf or you're this and that's it. But why am I a turf? because I believe in women's rights. I didn't say I hate trans women. I never said that. I never said trans women don't belong in spaces. I never said that. I said, listen to what women are saying. Do you want to be listened to? Then you also have to listen to the other people who have an opposing opinion. It's not just about you, you narcissist. It's about all of us. And how do we as trans people start to integrate? I've integrated into the world. I think you guys have too. I go to the men's gym. I deal with things. I walk around. People make fun of me. Who cares? I have learned to deal with that and walk the world with that. It has made my life better because I realize that people out there hate me and they probably always will hate me. And if you think that they're not going to as a trans person, you live in, you're living under a rock. I don't care how much work you do. There's still people out there who are going to think we're abomination, that we're weird, that we're freaks. Walk, walk around it, figure out a way to integrate into the world. And when you start shutting people's voices down because you think they're transphobic, you're making them more transphobic because you're not willing to talk about why do you feel this way about me? Why do you think I'm weird? Why do you think I'm still a woman? Like all of these things is a conversation that will make change. And people get pissed when you shut their voice down. You know that? People get very mad about it because they want to have the conversation. And usually it's because people don't understand what dysphoria is. So they That's need right. to be educated, right? And 
um, what was I going to say about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, because I, I mean, I spoke with um, Rebel News recently, and and they have a reputation of being more like, you know, on right leaning politics. Okay. But I, I feel mm -hmm. so politically homeless in this whole <laughs> in this whole thing because. <laughs> the the mainstream or left left wing media won't won't cover the issue right and, and in a right. balanced sort of way so you you ally with whoever is willing to ally with you and it, but there's there are positive things I think coming out of that where you know lesbians and Christians are are meeting in the middle for the first time ever and mm -hmm. like so many different communities that historically would have nothing to do with one another are coming together on this issue so yeah I talked to a right wing media i mean she was polite and respectful towards me and like <laughs> whatever she was willing to listen to what i had to say and put it out there right. but in the comments um when they posted it on their facebook feed the, the comments the comments are pretty nasty um i'm sure if if what i had to say was printed in left-wing media it would be the tras that were making nasty comments yeah. towards me and if it was posted in you know uh, a paper with a right-wing following the nasty comments tend to be you know, who the fuck cares to shut up about it? I don't care that you're trans, keep it in the bedroom. It's like, in the bedroom? What does this have to do with the bedroom? <laughs> but but it, it's a lack of education, right? They just, they don't understand what dysphoria was. And if they had taken the time to actually listen to what I had to say, they probably would find a lot of common ground with what I was saying, because a lot of the comments were saying, I don't care, just keep it away from the kids. It's like, well, that's kind of what I was saying. So... <laughs> <laughs> so just so just listen <laughs> amazing <laughs> but this is how we build bridges right is, yeah. is being yeah. willing to talk to people who we have differences with and maybe his, you know historically we haven't been allied with that's right no that's exactly right my friends like you know even us three talking here it's going to open up dialogue people are going to feel comfortable to have conversation about things because we're willing to have that conversation i think it's why important why again gender dysphoria alliance is so important it gives people an, another different space to go to to talk to people about things that they might not be able to talk to to those other people over there who will just shut it down immediately and so we as a community need to let people understand that we're a diverse community we don't all think alike and we're not all alike. And even politically, we're all over the, the place. And, and so that's what I think people need to see is that there's diversity in every community. There's diversity. Why is the trans community being, uh, being sort of displayed as this one thought process, right? Who, who, who are these people putting out this idea that this is the way all trans people think, or this is the way all trans people sort of want to be. And I, and that's why I think, um, putting our voices out there to say hey, wait we're willing to have any conversation so who comes to us the right the right media comes to me all the time i'm on so many of those things because they're the ones who are willing to have the conversation with me no nobody from that side ever asked me to be on their podcast or ever because they know what i'm going to say is going to go against and they're not willing to have that kind of conversation they don't want to have opposing views on their podcasts or whatever they're not willing to that's why they're fake they're totally fake when you just keep bringing the same people in that agree with you, Jesus, man, that seems boring to me. Like, let's have a real conversation. So much of it really feels like like this kind of cultural 
coercion that's taking place by um, by my my former home, the left. You know, very, you know, it's 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 like this 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 really kind of totalitarian, like oh, yeah, cultural coercion is the best way to to frame it. And like we were talking about earlier, it's like you, like you're kind of in a in the water that's kind of slowly warming. You don't realize, you know, it's it's getting so much warmer until suddenly you're boiling. You know, like I think that's kind of where a lot of people are at with this. It's like we've all kind of busted out of it because so much of our you know something that we're personally very tied to which is you know transition um you know we, so we we maybe saw it sooner than others but i think other people are starting to see it as well this kind of really totalitarian push down from above that you're supposed to behave in a certain way and think in a certain way speak in a certain way and when you know when you when you start to see the 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 just how uncomfortable it is to be to be kind of suppressed in that way people are going like wait i don't have to do this i don't have to conform to this like and so that's where you know i used to make fun of the walk away movement and you know like uh, that american movement of, of uh, being like or the us um the, the the slogan was about people leaving the democratic party to go to the republican party and I made fun of it because, you know, it's like I'm a liberal through and through. I will continue to be, even though my side of the house has kind of lost their goddamn minds. But I'd rather, you know, <laughs> stick to my principles that are going to be predominantly left wing. But at the same time, realize that, you know, my side of the house no longer values people speaking openly and honestly. And it seems like contrarianism, uh, subversion and things like that are now right wing uh, values, which used to be the, you know, used to be the opposite case. So like kind of what we're, where we're in the nineties um, is, is changed entirely. So it is kind of interesting. People, people feel really pressed down upon. And once, when it, once it kind of gets close to home is when they realize the kind of uh, suppressive stew they found themselves in and they're slowly busting out. And so I think that's what's happening with um, certainly with the, with the trans debate is like when people start poking fun, like the whole Chappelle thing and, or now, um, you know, when other people are kind of pushing against it and making uh, basically like you you can speak about this you can talk about this you can be critical of this you can ask questions um more and more people are going to and so it's uh i think it's coming to an end especially hopefully not at the complete detriment of left-wing politics because you know i <laughs> wow dude we we lost our minds like I'm, yeah. I'm totally on board with you i'm totally there with you these are my values those are where i come from that's where i'm at as an activist that's where i've always been but that does not that does not represent me anymore it is way far over i don't even know what it is i don't even know it's shocking. So you're right. The, the narratives have flipped parties. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and the party I always was like, yuck, is inviting me to speak and wanting to hear me and having conversation with me. And then people are like, oh, you're siding with the wrong people. They're going to use you. I'm like, I'm not siding with anybody. I'm actually having conversation. Do you understand? So everything has become this very mm -hmm. divisive mm -hmm. space, right? Everything is about divisiveness. And I'm not divisive. I have my own opinions about things and I want to have a conversation about it and I'm going to talk about it, whether you fucking like it or not. And, and so really, I think it's also really important for the youngsters to see us, right? To see us pushing back. I have to write me all the time. Thank you, Trump. Paul. I'm too scared. <laughs> and, but thank you, Trump. So it's giving, we, we are also sort of on some level uplifting these youngsters who we, we, we're going to teach them that, you know, speak your mind. Don't be scared of your own party because you have a different opinion. That's the whole point. And, and I think that they push this space down so that people are too scared to speak up. And that's real, right? I felt it. People oh, yeah. coming after me for saying stuff, a mob. It's, it's horrifying. It's actually horrifying. It's, 
it's it's actually really mentally stressful to deal with that huge amount of your own community calling you names and telling you what a piece of shit you are and sending you all kinds of just insane shit that you're like what so there is no we haven't created a space in our community to have these conversations we're not we're not being willing to have conversation which says to me that's not a community anymore right it's become an ideological space which is and and there's so much so much talk of trans rights being thrown around but (laughs) isn't it trans rights that we have a right to vote for whatever party we want to to (laughs) to subscribe to whatever philosophy or religion we want to i mean we're we're citizens of, of free nations, right? We, we have rights like anyone else, including the right to think for ourselves and, and disagree with people. That's right. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's just, you know, but, you know, I just love that you guys have these conversations that you created the podcast that, you know, we're, we're I think honestly, we should make a space on, on gender dysphoria lines. Have we, for parents, you know, maybe something where we can start to have some spaces where people can see different types of things going on you know and and feeling as if they I I just think that people need to see other opposing opinions that aren't anti-trans but are like this is what we kind of feel like you know not rushing people to transition I hate that I hate that we're rushing it feels like a what do you call it conveyor belt Mm -hmm. it feels like we're just pushing through as many that will make it great the ones that are collateral damage the detransitioners, we'll just throw them over here. It doesn't really matter. That's what it feels like to me. And I, I can't be a part of that. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. As far as the parents, um, I'm not sure what. I mean, can we, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I can't, only thing I can speak to parents about is my own transition, which was such a long time ago. It's so different now. But I think resources, right? How do we how do we get resources to parents? Are there resources out there? The only resources I see are just pro-transitioning. You know, I, I'm not seeing the other side and creating a space where, you know, maybe they just can go to an adolescent therapist as opposed to a affirmative transgender therapist, right? I mean, parents want options and parents should have options. And I, I don't see those options, but I might not being led in, in, into that space where there are options. Yeah, there are there are organizations popping up like Genspect, you know, representing Genspect. parents and they've, right. they've, you know, I think they're doing a fantastic job mm-hmm. supporting parents and equipping parents. They've created, you know, sort of information packages that right. parents can right. send to the kids' school and those kinds of things. So, so they're creating a lot of, a lot of those. So I would, I would kind of, I tend to redirect parents to, okay, to Genspect. Right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that organization because they're yeah. kind of new, but they're doing great work. So yeah, any parent that's listening to this, GenSpec, right? It's GenSpec.org, yep. I think. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there's also the Gender Exploratory Therapy Association. They're brand new as well. So therapists who want a practice of just not conversion therapy, you know, the, right. the dirty word, but just exploring, right? Just supporting when it, when from right. a, a neutral place, not, not pushing... That's clients right. in any one direction but just exploring right their identity and right. and how it developed and those kinds of things so um those therapists are coming together and they're going to create an, a directory so if people are looking for a therapist that that will just take that neutral stance and, and just provide good therapy um they'll know What's where the to name go of that one? the gender that? exploratory therapy association excellent i'm gonna post around that but also i was thinking maybe you can put that in the links of the video right yep will do yeah, that yep. would be excellent excellent yeah i've been looking for something like that just you know i want to lead parents to a space where they have options 
And I'm like, I don't even know where to go. But for GenSpec, definitely I, I, I connected with them. They're awesome. And yeah, again, awesome. again, this is not transphobic for anybody out there who feels like this is, it's not transphobic. It's actually pro-trans. <laughs> we're, we're here to create safe, healthy spaces for everyone, for family members, for the kids, for the people who are transitioning. You know, there has to be self a space where people can do some kind of research right? Without everything leading to this one space. Research is so important in all different kinds of opinions. What worked for me might not work for you. And that that's really an important part of the message, I think. It, it Just because I did this doesn't mean that you should do it or that it is going to work for you. It's a very, very delicate space to transition. And it's a lifelong space. And you will always be this. And every fucking week, I have to put testosterone in my body. And, you know, every day I see my different kind of body. And every day I'm aware of the fact that I'm not a man. And so, you know, these are things we need to prepare youngsters and people who are dealing with transitioning. It's like, you know, it might change and save your life, but you are not going to be this person that you think, you know, you're not going to be a biological male ever, ever. That's just not. The, and it's the not going to solve all your problems. And that's if you're right. looking for a place to to just belong, I wonder about the sustainability of that, right? Because I mean, so they so that you know, a 15 year old finds a little quirky peer group that they feel a sense of belonging, and they dye their hair blue and and you know do these things that they feel they need to do to to belong to that group. But how does that? If if the what am I trying to say? If if the problem they're trying to solve is to reduce feeling awkward and like they don't belong in society yeah how, how so belonging to that little group peer group how does that translate into you know now they're 30 years old and they're working in a job and they don't they can't carry that little bubble of their peer group with them everywhere they go so are they going to feel like they belong at work are they do they feel they're going to belong at in university do they yep. so i i worry about them in that way like how how far can, can that bubble of belonging be carried into their future life if, if that's the only kind of if they you know if it wasn't about dysphoria but it was about that belonging to that peer group so I worry about them but I also worry you know if we're if we're telling these kids well yep you're just you're just a man like any other man or a woman like any other woman like I worry about their future mental health yeah of, sure. you know when when that comes crashing down around them right as they get older and their bodies age and they're having to right to to really face reality and up until then everyone has just been telling them no you're just a man you're just a man you're just a man like i, I worry about them and and are they going to be well supported if they if and when they they crash at some point that's right that's right we're not feeding them reality right like reality around our genitals for some of us who don't transition in that way right the health situation, you know, I advocate for that a lot because of being an older trans person and on testosterone for so long. I've dealt with a lot, some health problems that nobody ever spoke about before. Yet here we are giving kids, you know, when I say kids, I'm <laughs> like 20 year old, you know, testosterone and they're called, they're writing me in, in one or two years. I have these pains, these cramps, nobody knows what they are. And I'm thinking, wow, I've been talking about that for 15 plus years and I've been dealing with it. And here's the doctor's not talking about this kind of stuff and yet giving testosterone like it's just totally okay, but not knowing the side effects. And these kids are dealing with things that I dealt with 15 years ago that they should not be dealing with. Every doctor out there should understand when you put testosterone in a female, you know, in a biological female, what are the outcomes of that? What are the long-term outcomes? What are happening in one? But they're not even telling these people that kind of stuff. 
So are they lying to them? Do the doctors not even know about atrophy? Like these are things every doctor should know before they you know, prescribe a, a, a drug. Testosterone is a drug. What's so infuriating and frustrating about all this is like, cause I, there are moments when I feel frustrated and, and sometimes even angry yeah. about all, all of this and just how, yeah. how messy and, and crazy it's all gotten, but I don't even know who to be angry at. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, there's clinicians out there that I think are contributing to this problem and pushing this stuff. But I also know how much our community lobbied for certain things to be done a certain way, right? So, so the community, these activists are bullying the clinicians to do things a certain way. They're li often lying mm -hmm. and distorting truths is part of that activism. And so the clinicians are on one hand are, are just saying, well, we're doing what the community has told us you wanted, mm -hmm. right? So, I, so I, like, who do I be, who, who do I be, who, who is at fault here? Where, you know, it's a sort of a chicken and an egg. It's just become right. this vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah, because I think the clinicians, the clinicians seem to be under the impression that we're all just so fragile, and you know, using correct words to describe our bodies is going to be so traumatizing to us. Or doing a pelvic exam on a trans man is going to be so traumatizing to us that they they just don't want to do that, right? But right. you know what? Having atrophy and almost dying is probably pretty traumatizing too. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense, you guys. I'm you know it, but you're right. Who do we who who should we be mad at? Should we be mad at ourselves for not speaking up sooner? Should we be mad at the whole trans community? Should we be mad at the leaders, you know, the people with the largest voices, which there are some, you know that, and they tend to be mostly trans women. And who, yeah, you're right. I mean, no, on some level, I'm mad at myself for not speaking out a little bit sooner when I saw it, you know, I saw this coming 10 years ago. I saw it coming five years ago. And when, you know, clinicians like um, Dr. Zucker, who, who, you know, um, and I don't know that if I, I haven't had a conversation with them, so maybe we don't agree on absolutely everything, but, right. you know, he was looking at this from an evidence basis. I think he's, mm -hmm. he's one of our world leading experts in understanding what dysphoria is. And, and he was totally smeared and, and canceled and, and lost his job. Right. And oh. so it's hard to be angry at the clinicians knowing that That's those right. who, who did stand for the truth and the evidence basis were canceled. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's still a very much a, a reality, you know, right. as it coming back to how we started this conversation yeah. with, with Dr. Um, Bowers and Dr. Anderson yeah. and um, Dr. Um, Laura Edwards Leeper. I mean, they're afraid of losing their jobs for speaking out. So that culture of, if I don't follow the party line, I'm just going to be canceled and lose my jobs. And then I can't help anybody. So I can, I, can feel, I can feel for the clinicians too, that they, they're kind of being held hostage. They are. I mean, look what, the, look what happened to, to Bowers and Anderson. They're literally being held hostage on some level. They're like, you better retract what you say. Well, I mean, they're basically bullying them. You know, they're going to kick them out of the organizations. They're going to do all kinds of, they, they re, that's their jobs. They rely on, they put a lot into this community. They've been, I'm friends with Dr. Anderson for a long, long time. She's an amazing woman who cares. And I know what's happening is they're going to bully them into this submissive space. And that's what the world needs to see. That's not an organization. When you start bullying people who have opposing opinions, what about the AMA? I'm sure there's people in the AMA who have different opinions about medical procedures. Do they get kicked out of the AMA? No, they don't. They have opposing opinions. There's all pediatrics. They all have opposing opinions about since when in the trans community are we not allowed to have doctors who have different opinions or, or, or who won't prescribe puberty blockers. There's doctors out there who won't do it. 
who do feel it's unethical and that, does that make them not a, not a good doctor? No, it just makes them a, a way in a being of, of the way that they feel like running their practice and that they feel. And since when are we allowed to have that? That's just, I'm telling you, it's all going to come out. It's all those people who you're talking about are going to speak against this whole system when it happens. You watch. When they're going to say, when they're going to say to these clinicians, well, where were you when this is happening? They're going to be like, my hands were tied. I, I, I could not speak out for fear of losing my own space. I mean, th that's what happened to you, Aaron. Isn't that, isn't that what happened to you? You got totally bullied into this space and they made all these lies about you and said yeah. all kinds of things that weren't true. Yeah. And, and allies, you know, angry at me as a trans man for not doing trans right, you know, but they don't. They don't respect that I've been doing this for a long time, right? Like right. I've been part of the queer community since I was 16. I've been part of the trans community for the last 15 years. I've seen a lot, right? And and I can't just undo all of that and 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 shut that off as a clinician. And, and that's we we all have moments of um, you know, what was your peak moment, right? What was your what was the thing that that made you realize that something's not quite right in this world? And for me, it was my experience as a trans person coming into conflict with with my obligation as a clinician to to do no harm and to follow the evidence basis and and to to be a good clinician and i think i am a good clinician and, and i worked I, and i worked in general mental health for most of my career right the trans part was only just this little short little window in, in the last little bit of my career and i felt like I have to turn off all of my experiences as a trans person. I have to shut off my best clinical knowledge, right? In order to do trans care. It's like, well, okay, so that's that's a big red flag for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's, I mean, thank you for saying that publicly. Thank you for speaking out on that because that's what people need to see. You were literally bullied out of a space that you spent so much of your time and energy that you have such passion for that you just people just got you into a space of lies and deceit and got you kicked out of something that you are so an important person to be there and have spent so much of your time to create this space. That's what the world needs to see. People like you being kicked out of it because you're, you're the wrong kind of clinician. You're the wrong kind of person to be doing that. When you have had so much time under your belt, well, by losing you in that space, we're doing such a disservice to our community. We're not servicing our community. We're creating some kind of ideological cult-like space. That is not what trans health should be about. It should be about creating a space for people to transition healthy or you know, not transition. Yeah, and you've been in this community longer than I have, so I'm sure you've seen even more than I have, but it's that was so hard. AIDS. I, yeah. I, I lost all my friends, every single one of them to AIDS. And so, you know, fuck these people when they talk shit about us and that we're not doing the work or we've done a ton of work in this community and the way we are disrespected, I will not, you know me, I'm that guy, I will not. There is no way, shape or form that I will let these people say the things they say about us because we have put our time and energy into this community. And, um, you know, I don't care what people think about me, you know that, I don't care, neither do you guys, that's why we're here. But that being said, yeah. we have, I think we all have integrity and we care. I care a lot. I wouldn't be here if I didn't care. And yeah, so for people to say the things they say about me after all the work that has, and I didn't do, I don't do the work to be praised. That is not any way, I'm not, I'm not an act. That's why I hate that activist label, right? It has become something really creepy to me. It's become a, a it's become a, 
a means and a way to be famous. And that's not what activism is. And, mm-hmm. and so activists are usually behind the scenes, right? Or just like making sure shit is taken care of. Yeah. And, so, and, you know, and the kids, I mean, the thing about the kids, and I think it's been um, very politically effective, is that we look at children and we all want to care about children and, and they all look so sweet and innocent. And um, yeah. so one of the, one of the things that, that was really emotional for, for me, and I have a friend that was doing a bit of trans care hormone readiness assessments as well, and, and he said the same thing, that you have this child in front of you and and they're they're suffering and they're looking for help and they're they're innocent they're they're kind of naive to the whole trans world mm-hmm. and i don't know how to reconcile that with everything that i've seen in the community and all the suffering and you know the the suicides and the botched surgeries and the the poor outcomes and the and the people who i know who have detransitioned and how do you reconcile that or the stories of you know what i think my transition was actually about sexual abuse or you know what my transition was actually i was a really effeminate gay person and i thought i was going to be alone forever because gay men didn't want to date me so you hear all these stories in the community of, of 15 years of hearing these stories, and then you have a child in front of you saying, I think I'm trans, help me. And it's like, okay, I don't want you to become one of these people or one of these people who ends up really suffering and, and being accused for being transphobic. When I, I'm coming from a place of really caring about those kids and wanting them to be happy and, and avoid some of the suffering that I've seen. So I, I don't, it, it's, it's hurtful, but it's also really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Frustration. I feel frustrated, honestly. But that's why teaming up with other people like you guys it just, I don't know, it gives me, it just makes me feel as if we're on the right path, you know, like, and also how many people are supporting us and how many people are really joining us and how many people see the really importance of having a space like this and that, you know, these other opinions will, some of the young trans people will see us. And they'll say, hey, wait a minute, these guys are speaking about this. And that's how I feel, too. And, um, and I don't, you know, I don't like the divide in the community. We should never have this kind of divide in a community. We should have opposing opinions, but we should be able to sit in a room together. But I can't sit in a room with many of these people because I don't like them because they're mean and angry and they won't have the conversation. They'll just immediately start spewing hateful I mean, some of the things people say and the signs they write about cis scum and cis people are this. And, and I'm just like, why are you doing that? That is no, that is not activism. <laughs> that is something totally else. Um, thank you guys. I, I really love you guys a lot. And I really value your friendship a lot. It means a lot to me. So really um, value yeah, like you, you too, Buck. You have a lot of great things to say. You've been doing this for a long time. I know you've taken a lot of a lot of shit over the years. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps coming. <laughs> like, it's it's from it. different directions, right? <laughs> I know. I'm like, and now it's not this group of people. It's this group of people. <laughs> it will forever be because I don't know. I'm just that magnet. <laughs> I'm that magnet who gets like shit spoken about them. You know, it's also because my work comes from the adult industry and people don't like that. They just don't like it. And I've dealt with that kind of hate forever. So, you know, I think it's how I, how I really grew a set of balls was being in the adult industry and watching how people just lose it on it. They just cannot handle it. So, you know, it's, it's on some level given me that space to have big, thick skin and deal with it. Because I do believe this will end. This will end and then a new generation will come where we're like, what did we do? Are you, yep. did we actually do that? You know? Well, thanks for everything you do, Buck, and, and thanks for, yeah. for 
for uh, meeting with us this morning and mm -hmm. or this afternoon in some places and yeah. <laughs> having having a chat with us. Yeah, right on. Thanks, guys. Let me know when it goes up, and I'll, I'll post it everywhere. Stay safe, and um, let's keep doing the work. I, I, I'm so excited to belong to this organization. Yeah, wonderful. Take care. Right Thank on. you. See you later. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.